It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On, broadcasting from WFHB radio station located in Bloomington, Indiana. We're a multiple award-winning show, now in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. As this is the last Monday broadcast for Black History Month, we wanted to have a comprehensive conversation with two presenters of Bloomington's annual public safety report. This fourth annual report covers topics ranging from police department, personnel recruitment and training to crime total comparisons, substance use disorder, law enforcement diversion programs, and the safety, civility, and justice initiative update. While Bloomington Police Chief Mike Deakoff presented on the comprehensive work of the police department, Beverly Calendar Anderson, former voice of Bring It On, and now director of the Community and Family Resources Department, gave a reflective presentation on the work of the Safety, Civility, and Justice Initiative and all the things that they performed last year and, of course, covered their goals for 2020. They join us now in the studio, Chief D. Goff and Ms. Anderson. Welcome to Bring It On. Thank Thank you. you. And we have the proverbial flip of the coin, and we're going to lead off first with Chief D. Goff in the first half of the hour. And then for the remaining two hours, uh, Miss Anderson will discuss her part as well. So I think it was a two-headed coin. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's the one you gave me for payment. <laughs> uh, but Chief Deakoff, welcome to Bring It On. And it's always uh, great to have you here to, if not talk about uh, trends and policing, um, ways that Bloomington is, is addressing certain issues. And I see that this is the fourth annual. Now, is did it not go in succession for a number of years and then picked up again, or had this been occurring in the past? So this started under uh, Mayor Hamilton's administration. He okay. was the first to do this annual report on uh, public safety. So it started his first year okay, um, or second year. It started under his administration. <laughs> and, and some might say, well, most cities don't want to become that transparent and what's working yeah. right and what where their challenge is. But... Uh, uh, we must applaud the initiative uh, to to come to the public and share with them what's going up. You want to give us sort of a synopsis, and then we could talk more specifically. So the report encompassed um, quite a few different topics. Um, we talked about uh, hiring and recruiting. Uh, we we struggle with that. It's like most law enforcement agencies across the country. Um, hiring and and uh, retaining new officers is difficult. The uh, economy is is uh, uh, better, so when the economy is doing well, government jobs tend to take a dip. Uh, we went into training. We do a tremendous amount of training with our officers. We had over 9,600 hours of training uh, for our sworn personnel, um, and that covered a variety of uh, topics like uh, de-escalation, anti-bias, mental health first aid, um, interview schools, things that the officers do every day. We, we kind of try to keep them up to date on that. And then there's mandatory training that the state um, requires that every police officer have. 
um, and all of that training was covered also. Uh, went into a lot of um, information on crime and what's happening in Bloomington. Uh, talked some about our calls for service, talked about um, different diversion programs that we are working on. Um, we also talked a little bit about each division in the police department, like dispatch and records um, and parking enforcement. So that's kind of an overview of, of uh, what was presented. And not here with us tonight, but the Bloomington Fire Department also uh, presented out. And um, at some point, perhaps we can have that representative on. But we did. We were very fortunate to, to retain two individuals who are so busy that uh, their social calendar fills up so fast that we had to pull all types of uh, strings to get them here. Um, but nevertheless, um, in a report that came out to the city sort of summarizing everything, they did say that although the overall crime rate in Bloomington decreased by nearly 5% from 2018 to 2019, there were two figures that have increased, and that being violent crime rates and then overtime pay for Bloomington Police Department officers. Now, can you talk a little bit about, about that trend? Sure. So the, let's talk about overtime first. Um, there were a lot of things that happened uh, this past in 2019 that, that kind of drove those figures. We spent a tremendous amount of time at the farmer's market this year. Um, we also um, spent a tremendous amount of time doing downtown foot patrols. Uh, those hmm. uh, The foot patrols were something that we started at probably two or three years ago um, because of the uh, increase in problems that we've had downtown and the, the uh, uh, request from downtown businesses and visitors, um, we started doing that program. And one of the things that we did, um, and we've done this for a couple of years now, we hire part-time IU police officers to work for us. Um, they basically patrol, they have our radios, they're able to respond to um, any issue that might be downtown. But the, the downtown patrols are more of a visibility type patrol so that people see the police. If they see problems, they can respond to those fairly quickly. The, um, some other highlights in the uh, overtime, we have you know, our, our investigations. If, if we have something that, is, is, uh, that happens and you just can't stop at the end of your shift, we spend a lot of overtime on finishing up investigations. So there was, there was a substantial portion there. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier recruiting and retention we had um, over time for shift coverage, uh, things like that. Um, as far as uh, switching now to the crime rate, yes, overall crime in Bloomington was down, but our violent crime was up um, about 27% in 2019. Can you define what a violent crime yes. is? Yes. So the, the major crime trends, which you, if you, they're called part one crimes. Um, those are homicide, rape, robbery, assault, burglary, larceny, and vehicle theft. The violent crime would be the homicide, rape, robbery, and assault part of that. Um, our property crime has continued to decrease um, over the last several years. Um, and one of the things that we attribute that to is, is a few years ago, we added a position in the department, um, a crime analyst. And she actually reviews a lot of the information that is, is gathered in reports. She looks at trends. She's able to help investigators uh, look for certain things in reports um, that we can staff the shifts a certain way to try to prevent property type crimes. Um, but a, a few years ago, those those numbers were going up. And so we, we went to this analyst position and that helped us bring those down. It's a little bit more difficult to do that with, with violent crime. Um, 
Uh, we relatively have, or usually we have relatively few homicides every year. Last year in 2019, we had two. Um, the rape reports that we get, those numbers tend to fluctuate. Uh, in 2017, they were up. 2018, they went down. In 2019, they're back up. Um, there's different theories as to why uh, people believe those numbers may be up. Um, in conversations with representatives from Middleway, they believe that um, the more that people talk about it, the more people feel comfortable to report those crimes. Uh, rape is probably one of the, n the number one underreported crimes that there is. Um, and so with the university doing a lot of education, uh, Middleway doing a lot of education, um, the belief is people feel more comfortable to report those. No, those numbers are still high. We had 73 that reported in 2019. Um, it's a 55% <coughs> increase from those numbers reported in 2018. Um, so that that's problematic for us. That's troubling. The other one that's that's big is aggravated assaults. An aggravated assault is is basically um, if I if I sat here and threw a pen at you, that could be considered an aggravated assault. Mm -hmm. It's the definition that the FBI gives that crime. Uh, those crimes were up um, almost twenty seven percent in twenty nineteen. Um, what's incorporated in aggravated assaults, though, that um, we that we are paying particular attention to is domestic battery. Um, those numbers are up. The thing to remember about aggravated assaults is a lot of those, um, and I have somewhere in my notes here, I have the percentages, but there's a high percentage of those crimes where the victim and the suspect know each other. Right. So it's really hard to kind of police those types of crimes. It's not like you can put out, you know, more officers in an area to try to turn that crime because a lot of times that crime happens behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for us to impact that. And that, those type of crimes are probably underreported too, aren't they? Yes, they are. Um, domestic battery is another one that is, is um, mm -hmm. highly underreported. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, uh, going back to the earlier, the assaults, the rapes, um, do these statistics take into account activities on the campus of IU or no. just the city of Bloomington? Those are just inside the city limits. If, it's, okay. if it happens on campus, mm -hmm. then it is reported to the university police and it's not counted in our statistics. We okay. only take care of stuff that's reported in the mm -hmm. city's jurisdiction. And as William sort of alluded to, could you also, uh, and I never generalize about it, but can you also draw uh, perhaps a comparison that the victim may have known her attacker? So in 2019, we had one reported what we would call stranger rape, where um, it happened in um, a stairwell. And the the, the uh, woman did not know <coughs> her attacker. Most of these uh, reported rapes that we've had the victim and the, the uh, suspect know each other somehow. They may have been out um, at a party together. They may have, may have been out at a bar, but there's some knowledge as to who that person is. Right. Um, and again, those are hard to prevent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with uh, with the aggravated assaults, um, and, and, and what one of the things we talked about at the report was that over 80% of, in this violent crime category, over 80% of the uh, victims knew their assailants. That's a high percentage. Mm -hmm. That's hard to try to prevent those types of crimes. Um, one of the things that um, we're going to we're going to try to do is we are working with uh, we're going to start working with Middleway a little bit more closely on education efforts. Um, uh, the other thing that we had a big increase in was gun crimes. 
those are up um, substantially over last year. And we're going to start working with Moms Demand Action for Common Sense Gun uh, Laws to try to educate the public more about these types of things so that we can maybe prevent them in the future. Are the trends uh, indicating that these are youthful offenders or they could be any? It, it, it not necessarily. Um, we, we are seeing um, an increase, though, in younger people having guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a lot of um, shots fired calls. A lot of those are in apartment complexes where young people live. Um, but I don't really have statistics that show, because um, a lot of times we don't, we don't catch anybody. We, we get these reports and these calls. We find evidence that there were shots fired with shell casings laying in parking lots um, and maybe you know vehicles having windows shot out or something like that. But we don't find anybody that's responsible for those. Um, I want to go back to farmer's market. You mentioned something about that. Overtime pay went from roughly 5000 to 100000 in one year. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, there weren't, that didn't involve any violent crimes, robberies, assaults, or anything, right? Correct. So you just had to basically go down there and, and, and maintain a presence uh, as a deterrent because uh, it was a really sensitive hot-button issue down there. Correct. Um, Previous years, uh, we wouldn't have anyone um, at the farmer's market. Um, Two years ago, we had a couple of incidences where we started having officers um, walk through the market. Um, Last year, in 2019, we actually um, had numerous officers Mm -hmm. that were assigned the market because of the potential for problems. And uh, you also said that crime stats from IU are not included in your numbers, right? That, that's correct. So do you know if their numbers uh, uh, kind of are similar to yours anyway, especially the increase in, in certain categories of crimes? I'm not aware of what IU's numbers are. I don't think that they've released their 2019 statistics yet. I've not seen those. But they will release those to the public? They will, yes. Okay. That would be, uh, that's probably another show. <laughs> yeah. It is. IU and Bloomington Police Department, the IUPD and, and Bloomington Police Department have a partnership. Uh, I would imagine, especially uh, on big weekends. Yes. Um, and every, my mind goes immediately, and yours probably too, to, to Little Five Weekend. Yes. Uh, or, or anytime we play Purdue, we used to be. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> not, but not so much anymore. <laughs> not, not so much anymore. Um, but, but Little Five Weekend, I remember um, when events that took place in Varsity Villa created a town-gown approach to really minimizing what goes on. And as a result, um, the presence was, was and probably remains very heavy. And, of course, you have uh, excise police who come <coughs> down and go through numerous pads of, of citations. Yes. Uh, and then the infamous drive-by justice building on Sunday morning, you yes. see individuals who will either be doing uh, work detail or getting the checkbook out. Um, but one one concern I've had, and others do too, is when we have home football games, and there's sort of the student lot across the street. Mm-hmm. If someone could take a before and after picture, and maybe the HT's done it, but you see grass in one photo, but then afterwards cans, gallon jugs, keggers, and I'm praying one day not a body. And, and for me, home football game monitoring, and, and, and that's, that's tough because you, you, you want students to enjoy the weekend, responsibly enjoy. 
which speaks to education. And I know that Bloomington, from that weekend, gets activity because it just all doesn't stay on campus. Correct. So how are the <clears throat> partnerships? On, and, I, and I know they're probably improving, but what initiatives or what things may be happening? Sure. In the so my understanding with football weekends is the university instituted a policy a year or two ago where they made everyone – um, and it's called the red lot, um, which is the grass lot across from the stadium. Uh, they made everybody leave and go into the game. They couldn't. They could not stay out in the parking lot and and party. Um, that that helped a lot because that that was their way of cracking down on some of the the behavior that was that was going on there. Um, that helped because there's not very many people left in the lot. Right. Um, Little 500, we've long had a, a relationship with the university um, and state police. State police also brings additional people in to help with that. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about with, with regards to overtime is we spent almost $40,000 on that weekend um, just keeping everyone safe. Um, and, and what we do is because it is it's such a big event that brings in a lot of visitors, mm -hmm. um, we require all of our officers to work. And we go to 12-hour shifts um, just to make sure we have enough people to handle anything that might happen. And so um, the university does the same thing. So right. we do. We have a lot of meetings. We have a lot of, um, uh, you know, joint coverage of events. If the university has something on campus that that gets busy, then they also um, a ask us to help, and vice versa. If we have events that happen um, in the community um, and we can't handle, we ask them to help us on that also. Mm -hmm. So Beverly, I, I know we said we were going to, what, uh, bring you on the second half? The second two hours is it, what it's, 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 the Beverly, <laughs> it's the Beverly show at, <laughs> after 6.30. But I have a question that's just, sure. uh, just, just can't wait. Um, <clears throat> so we've talked about uh, violent crimes, nonviolent crimes, and, you know, we kind of got into a little bit of uh, crime reporting, mm -hmm. uh, talked about crimes on IU versus uh, the city of Bloomington. But... So you, you're the head of Community and Family Resources, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Help us to understand how uh, these issues intersect with your areas of responsibility. So about um, four years ago, um, there was a safety, civility, and justice initiative started by Mayor Hamilton, and it was to address um, safety issues, civility issues, and justice issues in the downtown area. And so our department really coordinates all of the thing, all things safety, civility, and justice. Um, and we do that to, to try to maintain a downtown community that uh, people want to visit, where people want to live, where people want to come and uh, for recreation, restaurants, parks, and things like that. So, so that's where I come into it. I, I work closely with the police. I am not a police officer. Um, you, mean you don't put anybody up against the wall? I didn't say that. Yeah, you carry a badge. I, I, I just don't do it legally. Uh, no, no, throw them up against the wall, carry the badge. But, mm, none of that. Uh, <laughs> none of that. But, um, but, yeah, so we've really worked just to make sure that, um, like I said, the downtown is a place where people want to come. We had gotten to a point um, in about 2016 where – we were hearing concerns from patrons, from business owners, from um, people experiencing homelessness, people living in poverty, um, you know, just that they weren't feeling safe. They weren't feeling um, that downtown was a place 
that they wanted to be. Um, and so we started to work on that. We um, worked with the co- uh, Community Justice and Mediation Center to talk to different segments of the community, law enforcement, social service agencies, again, those patrons, people experiencing homelessness, a, a lot of different groups, to, to see what their perceptions of the downtown were and to also garner uh, suggestions about what could be done. And then we formed a Safety, Civility, and Justice Task Force and uh, came up with recommendations that we uh, then gave to the mayor. How exactly did you address the homeless issue in downtown Bloomington? When you say, how did we, ad- so how did we address people who are experiencing homelessness that were downtown? Yeah, or yeah, how did yeah, we yeah. First, what, first, what was the uh, problem or the issue down there? And then how did you address it? So well, I, b- before, you, before you start, because we did flip the coin, and Beverly's about to go on a roll, and we know that. <laughs> mm, if, if we had a, out, out of deference, I'm okay. She she can she knows the topic <laughs> because because Chief D. Kauf is here, and I did have a relevant question, and and that is going to be something we'll discuss in the second half hour. Um, and as producer, I can ask, ask these things. Now, the other thing that I do want to ask Chief D. Kauf is, uh, and we'll get to this in the second half hour, I'm out with my family walking down Kirkwood and all of a sudden a car drives by and some poetry is screamed out the window. That's objectionable. Objectionable to me and my family. What do I do as a citizen? Well, the first thing I would do is report it. Now, it's not necessarily against the law, um, but it is something that we want to know about so that we can investigate and have a conversation if we can locate the person who uh, might have yelled whatever out the window um, and and talk to them about um, their behavior. Um, it's well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I guess I wrestle with it not being uh, illegal, but if it's viewed as a threat to our safety, to me, you know, and, and in my mind, if I view that someone's crossed a threshold, and I could even go further that uh, we have had incidents of, of Confederate flag, license plates in the front, this and and, then, and just the whole uh, throwing us back to a time that I thought we can maturely get beyond. I mean, we're, I know we're dealing with the farmer's market, but these are people are experiencing this to a degree. And then perhaps graffiti on walls. But there is a reporting step that we should take as citizens or there are actions we should take rather than try to take things into our own hands. Exactly. And and you again never take things into your own hands. Okay. Darn. Okay. <laughs> again, uh, that's why we we want everyone to report that. Right. So that we can investigate it. Um, it may or may not rise to the level of a crime, but if we don't know about it, then we can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so um, when that happens, we want to know so that we can investigate. And there are different things that we can do. Um, obviously the prosecutor can get involved. We share um, all of our reports on bias incidents with the Human Rights Commission. Okay, so it is logged. Yes, it is okay. logged. Right. And, and all of our reports that we get um, with regards to bias crimes, we, we do report that. Uh, they keep track of that information also, and they do annual reports about that type of information. And so it's, it's really important that, you know, if it happens, that it does get reported. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll, Clarence, I'll add to that. Um, if the person is caught and spoken with by law enforcement, there's also the chance of our human rights attorney uh, sitting down and doing some mediation and some, recon- you know, not necessarily okay. reconciliation, but okay. at least mediation, letting <coughs> folks know the impact of what they've done. And sometimes people do things because they're drunk. Sometimes they do them because they're 
just racist and evil. Um, but but sometimes they don't really know the 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 total impact of what they're doing. All right. And we, we failed to do this a few minutes ago, but if you just tuned in to bring it on, that voice you just heard was the one and only Beverly Callender Anderson, director of the Community and Family Resources Department. And the other voice was police, Bloomington Police Chief Michael Dekoff. Um, His one is thing, one and only too now. The, the one and only <laughs> voice, Michael Dekoff. One thing uh, we've not touched on, and we have about six more minutes in this segment, and this may take all of the six minutes. Uh, we know that there are some neighboring, well, not neighboring, but nearby counties that have suffered tremendously from the op- opioid epidemic. It's not gone away. No, it's not. It's probably morphed into heroin use. It's, it's morphed into uh, methamphetamine yeah. Methamphetamine? Use. Yeah. What, okay, what are the interventions? What are the trends that you see? Um, what can we as a community, if we see something, say something, what, what should we do? So that's, <laughs> that's a big topic to discuss in like five minutes. Um, so um, it, it has gotten um, a little better. It, we're, we're not having quite the number of overdoses that we were experiencing a couple of years ago, but we still are experiencing overdoses. Um, you know, all of our officers carry naloxone, which is um, a, a, a drug that counteracts an opioid um, overdose. But again, not everyone is, is overdosing on opioids. We have overdoses on meth. We have overdoses, overdoses on um, synthetic marijuana, which is spice. Um, and there's not really anything to counter those. Um, uh, you know, there, is, uh, there, there, are, there are laws in Indiana that are on the books now that um, protect someone who might be somewhere where someone overdoses that they won't face any kind of criminal sanctions if they... Um, call for help and report it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the main thing is to try to save someone's life, whoever who might be overdosing. Um, that doesn't always happen, but um, we we certainly encourage people to do that. Um, again, it's it's what happens is um, we're we're starting to see uh, drugs with fentanyl, which is highly it's 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 very deadly. Um, we had a couple of weeks ago, we had a couple of people that overdosed, and um, it was some new stuff that had high concentrations of fentanyl in it. Um, and so um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it keeps us busy. Um, you know, we, again, we, we try to go after um, large-scale dealers. Um, we have good partnerships with, with state agencies and federal agencies to, to identify the, the dealers that are bringing it to our community. Um, we had some success in the past with Spice, where there, were, there was one particular business in town that sold it. Um, every time we heard that they got a shipment, we would, we would figure out a way to, to shut it down, and we had some success with that. Um, but we're, it's not as bad as it was a couple of years ago, but mm-hmm. it's still certainly something that um, the entire community needs to pay attention to and, um, and just be, be wary of that. It's, it's very, uh, the, you, know, you don't know what you might be consuming if, if you're using drugs, and, and it could very easily kill you. Um, Chief, I just want to say that uh, the news on the crime stats is not all bad because some of them went down, actually. Yes. But uh, a few years ago, there was a gentleman here we interviewed that was running for uh, prosecutor. And he said emphatically that with the completion of I-69, we would see a spike in crime. Uh, was he off the mark on that one, or is there, is there any truth to that? You remember that, Clarence? I recall that. Um, um, you know, we've, we've, 
again, crime fluctuates a lot. Yeah. Um, our, our property crime has gone down. Um, you know, one that um, burglary is a big one. Um, if you've ever been burglarized, it, it's it's uh, it can be very traumatic. Those numbers are down. Um, the uh, some of the violent stuff is again, as I said, people who know each other. So it's hard to kind of do stuff to take action against that. I'm not sure that we've seen this huge crime wave because of I-69. I don't know if that will change when it's completed to wherever it's going. Um, that that's probably still several years away. Um, <laughs> but we have seen some activity come from Evansville to Bloomington just because it's easier to get here now. Oh, from, yeah. yeah. Well, we're sort of coming to the uh, bottom half of the hour and getting ready for, of course, the Beverly Calendar Anderson two-hour uh, time slot here. Um, but I just want to, uh, again, thank you for being transparent with the figures because a lot of communities, if, if they're not mandated, they don't necessarily volunteer it. Can I just put a plug in real quick? Yes. If you go to the Be Clear portal, we have, uh, I believe it's 14 data sets that we report. We're getting mm -hmm. ready to add a couple more data sets to that. Mm -hmm. um, we also report <coughs> crimes um, and information to the, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name, the uh, police data um, portal that's through the Police Foundation. It's a national website, um, and we're one of about 150 agencies that re report uh, statistics to that to that uh, uh, website also to, to increase transparency because you're right we we report a lot of information and it's just out there for people to look at and all of the um, uh, reports the the annual reports can be accessed online uh, from the city of Bloomington's webpage and we'll give you that that uh, URL at the end of this conversation but uh, again they are provided for the viewing public and we're going to take a break right now. Um, we've had a, a delightful conversation with Bloomington Police Chief Mike Dekov, who has presented on the comprehensive work of the police department, facts, trends, um, and goals going forward. And after this music set, we'll, we'll be back, uh, of course, with Bloomington's own and Bring It On's own, uh, formerly the voice of Bring It On, trying to lure her back, going through contract negotiations with her. Miss Beverly Calendar Anderson. They'll call it a mystery, but we're gonna call it victory. We'll be writing history. It's gonna be victory. There'll be signs on top of signs, just so you know that history. It's saying victory.
You just heard I See a Victory, sung by Kim Burrell and written by and produced by R&B artist Burrell. The song is from the award-winning movie Hidden Figures, which celebrated the early contributions of black women and their successes in our nation's space program. Now, we were saddened to learn of the passing of 101-year-old Katherine Johnson, famed NASA research mathematician, who wrote the calculations for the Apollo 11 trajectory to the moon. She was one of just a few African-American women hired to work as a human computer to check and verify engineer calculations on the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the agency that preceded NASA. And while we're talking about uh, phenomenal women, uh, I had the privilege of going to the resilience production of uh, Elizabeth, a woman of color, and it was put on by three phenomenal women, Danielle, Bruce, Gladys Devane, and Elizabeth Mitchell. It, was, it traced the history of Elizabeth, and we don't know her surname, but she was a woman of color who was sort of duped into servitude, signed a contract when she was a young girl and while in Kentucky and found herself as an indentured, basically an indentured slave until she would turn age 52. And it, it traced her history, it traced her life story of just heroism and courage under, under extreme conditions and her emancipation or freedom that she received while on the Indiana side as she escaped to the Indiana side. Now, there is a video of this, and we will get Liz back on to talk about uh, how to obtain that, but uh, this woman was phen- phenomenal as well as Katherine Johnson. Um, Bring It On also has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Now, um, Beverly, 
How are you tonight? You I'm know? good, William. And and can I just say, because Clarence was mentioning phenomenal women before you show, we also lost um, cookbook author, model, restaurateur, That's right. That's right. B. Smith this yeah. weekend. Yes. So I just wanted yes. to Thank shout you. her out. I saw and, that today. Yeah. You know, Clarence has heaped praises on you since uh, we pretty much started. Mm. But then he uh, kind of <laughs> jumped in and cut you off just when you were starting your role. I was on the roll. So I want to give you the opportunity to go ahead and pick up where you uh, left I was off. trying to provide her with more time. Let me take five minutes to explain why I did that. All right, go on. <laughs> <laughs> on you, Bev. Oh, thank you, William. So what I, what I was explaining earlier, before I was so rudely interrupted, um, <laughs> was, was that in 2016, Mayor Hamilton created the Safety, Civility, and Justice Initiative, and it was to address issues that we were seeing in the downtown. Um, people were, you know, pretty much afraid of coming down to restaurants and to go to the park, especially like People's Park, or to go out for ice cream. And, and part of it, uh, Chief Decoff alluded to, we were having uh, quite a few overdoses at that time, and a lot of them were happening downtown and were happening in parks. Um, we, we were just having issues with um, just a feeling of unsafety, of, of just people not feeling safe. And so this initiative was started. We uh, engaged the Center for Community Justice and Mediation uh, to work with us and to interview residents uh, throughout the community from a, a variety of different uh, interest groups and talk about how they felt about being downtown, whether it was how you felt as a patron or how you felt as a law enforcement officer or someone else who works in law enforcement, how you felt um, uh, as a person, you know, experiencing homelessness. And so we talked to all these different groups, took in some their recommendations, their perceptions, and then we created the Safety, Civility, and Justice uh, Task Force. And then we studied the issue. We worked with a class at IU. We looked at ways that other communities have addressed similar issues, not only in this country, but um, in, in around the world, uh, some other countries around the world. And then we came up with recommendations that were then given to the mayor. Um, and so from those recommendations, um, in the time since probably the end of 2017, 2018, I think, we've been implementing the recommendations. And so there were there were a list of recommendations. So we've been implementing them and we have I think just about all of them implemented, I would say at least 97, 98% of them have been implemented. And, and so as we do that, we're continuing, if there are other issues that crop up, we're addressing those as well. So some of those have to do with um, health and safety. Some of those have to do with um, programming in our parks or programming downtown. I mean, so there are a lot of different um, issues that we're addressing. So what, what was some of the more... Um significant recommendations that you implemented and and you said you you looked at communities around the country and around the world yeah uh, can you identify where some of your recommendations came from that you that you actually implemented so so we looked at what other people had done but we tried to make it very specific to Bloomington and what would be acceptable in Bloomington we looked at things um, a lot of things we looked at we did look at public restrooms because one of the issues we were having is is that people were out and didn't have places to use the restroom and so they used it where they were um, and so one of the things in Paris they have restrooms that come up out of the the ground and go back and so I mean so we looked at a broad spectrum of things uh, we did not implement the restrooms that come up out of the ground well, that, that would be kind of interesting um, or at, at, anyway I digress yeah, unless somebody gets trapped in one of them <laughs> 
So um, some of the things that we actually did too, um, we formed a couple of public-private partnerships, and one of those partnerships increased the programming in People's Park. And so the city already had a music um, concert in the park once a week um, during the summer. And so through this partnership, we're able to have programming in the park every day. And uh, we waive fees for IU students that wanted, might want to come out, do a concert, do a yoga class, do a chess club, reading class um, for kids. Um, and so nonprofits and IU uh, have those fees waived, but at the same time, some of the performers do need to be paid. And so through that public-private partnership, they're able to be paid. Um, another partnership that we created was with business owners um, and other organizations and the county and other organizations to um, help Shalom increase their our Shalom Center increase their hours so that people would have a place to go on the weekend. Shalom previously had been open from eight to four five days a week. Now they're open eight to four seven days a week, and so on the weekends there is some place for people to get a hot meal, take a shower rest. Um, we worked with Shalom and also with Wheeler Mission on increasing some of their on-site programming. Um, the Parks Department started a jobs program with Centerstone clients where they actually are helping people get job skills um, while making money um, doing maintenance in our parks. Um, we have um, a website and a map and, and, and a, have just accumulated a bunch of resources for people in poverty or people experiencing homelessness so they know where to get services. Um, and it makes it easy for them to do that and um, show them how to do it. So there, there are several. And then the chief mentioned earlier about the increased patrols downtown use, utilizing mm -hmm. um, IUPD. So, I had a follow-up to that. Uh, you mentioned, of course, the plight of the homeless and uh, just providing services, just things we take for granted uh, they, they may not have access to. But, but then there's another um, degree of, of what we often see and are maybe impacted by. I know that panhandling uh, has sort of always been that sort of... Um, unique situation you know it tugs at your heartstrings but then there's a safety element to that too and then there's aggressive panhandling uh, what has the city done to sort of address that i know at major intersections now in more and more intersections you see that and even at highway intersections you begin to see more and more people <coughs> and chief decoff chime in i mean is this uh, um, i mean we talk about legal versus illegal versus a caution given to person a warning given to a person but sometimes even traffic flow is disrupted by that. Yeah, so panhandling in and of itself is not illegal. What is illegal is aggressive panhandling, and the statute spells out kind of what that is, and it, um, like if you're near an ATM machine, something like that. Um, but it's not illegal to sit on the street with a sign and ask people for money, food, whatever. Um, it's not illegal to panhandle at an intersection. What is illegal, though, is when you step out into the lane of travel, um, it can it can be considered obstructing traffic, hmm. and so um, the other the other problem with with panhandlers at intersections is it's just not safe. Um, you know, we I've seen people and I and I stop and, and ask them to move if they're in the on a median in the middle of you know the highway or or, or some of our more busier streets. It's just not safe, um, and so. Um, I, I always also encourage people to not give money to panhandlers, to give it to a social service agency that helps panhandlers. Um, 
a lot of times, uh, and I'm not saying every time, but a lot of times they'll take the money and, and um, just go buy alcohol or something Cigarettes. like that. Yeah. yeah, and so it's it's not really it's not really helping them. It's just it's feeding maybe um, you know a, a substance use disorder problem that they might have. Um, but it it depends on how the panhandling is done as to whether or not it's it's illegal. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and one yeah. one of the things that we did was. Um, to p- publish a website, um, we like the chief said, we do encourage people to give to uh, agencies that work with people experiencing homelessness or, or working with people in poverty. One, because your $10 will go further when coupled with other people's $10 than it will when you give it to a person. Although we do understand that some people are, choose to give directly and that's what they do. But we published a site on the city site that could get folks directly to agencies that work with people in poverty or experiencing homelessness. So mm-hmm. they can come on to that. They don't know exactly where they are, who they are. They can come on the city website, click a link, and it will take them right to the donation page of yep, a particular agency. So Beverly, um, the creation of a crisis diversion <coughs> center. Mm-hmm. You, oh, you want to talk about that one, huh? Oh, no, that's not me. Um, <laughs> no, I've been, and the chief and I both have been working on um, the creation of this crisis diversion center. He can talk more about it. The police will be the ones that will uh, be referring people to the center. But we're working in conjunction with Centerstone <coughs> and IU Health Foundation. I think that's it. And yes. the county. County government. And the county government. Um, for Because... When people are in crisis, sometimes they don't need to go to jail. They don't need to go to the hospital or emergency room. They just need to get through that crisis. So this center will be a place that law enforcement can refer these people to to help them um, (coughs) come out of that crisis, whatever that crisis might be. It might be mental health. It might be, you know, um, a narcotic piece. Um, But there will be um, case managers, medical professionals personnel, behavioral health personnel there. That really, uh, I, I think, makes a huge difference between someone being uh, uh, arrested, in many cases shot and killed, mm. uh, because police are not exactly trained to deal with uh, people who have serious mental issues. Is that correct, Chief? There's, there's been a lot of um, uh, stretching as to what experience we actually have and you're exactly right we don't have the mental health training that professionals do um you know police uh, so this this center came about um because um, we we have had an increase in people who are experiencing homelessness people who have substance use disorder um and probably six years ago we started our downtown resource officer program and that was a diversion program we we uh we knew at the time our, our the problems we were having with people who were experiencing homelessness kept increasing. Uh, we were seeing more and more people. We started this program because we knew arresting people for cr- violations of the law wasn't going to solve anything. And so we needed to uh, work with people who had better experience um, in dealing with those types of situations. And so we started that. Um, it, it just kind of snowballed into um, we just keep having more and more people with those issues. So. Um, there was some talk about a year ago about starting a law enforcement um, pre-arrest diversion program. Um, and when I got involved with that, I'm like, well, where are we going to divert people to? We, we don't have any place. So we, we kind of put the cart before the horse, and we've kind of fixed that now. We got about $2.1 million in funding. We got a, a, a big grant from IU Health Foundation and a lot of businesses and local government. Uh, city and county both um, chipped in money to come up with this, this center. It's a three-year grant project that we're going to 
Um, at first, it will be law enforcement that will divert people, but uh, there's talk about opening it up just to walk-ins who might be experiencing some kind of substance use disorder or mental health issue that they can go there and, and um, kind of seek out treatment. And this will be a place where, you know, you sort of have to catch people when they're ready for treatment. Yeah, and yeah. so this will be a place if somebody <coughs> is ready, they, you don't have to make an appointment three days later. There will be people mm-hmm. there that will help get them into treatment right then. And so um, that's going to be key in getting people into treatment quickly. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bloomington, along with other cities and uh, different areas across the country, uh, are, are probably on the forefront of, with these diversion programs. But does that kind of make Bloomington a magnet for a transient population or a homeless population? So you two fight it out and decide who's going to answer that question. (laughs) And and, and while you're fighting out, there have been, um, I don't know if it's urban legend or whatever, but uh, buses stop here in Bloomington and people get off because they've been put on buses by other communities. Well, I think not just because of what we're doing with the Crisis Diversion Center. I think Bloomington is a community that's really rich in resources. Um, we have a lot of nonprofits. We have a very caring community of people who want to help, just like we were talking about panhandling. There are people that have said to me, I'd rather give to that person. I mean, that's that's just who we are, I think, as a community. Um, and up until recently, I think many of our surrounding communities did not have the resources that we have. And so um, there were people coming from surrounding communities. I think now there are other shelters that have opened up in some of some of our sort of bedroom communities. Um, I, there are some, definitely some um, drug treatment programs that have opened up. Um, so I think more of the smaller communities are uh, increasing their services. But that's not to say we still don't have the most and the best um, because it's Bloomington. So when, when you make that investment up front, um, d- does it pay off uh, in the end so that you don't end up spending as much money dealing with the problem on the back end of it as opposed to making the uh, uh, front-loading that investment? So I'm going le- to let the chief answer that, but I'm going to say if you can keep a person alive then and then you can get them into treatment i don't know how you measure that with you know against dollars but then uh, uh, and, yeah. and beverly's right that's hard to that's hard to measure what i can tell you is we've had people that have been arrested 20 30 times for the same type of minor violation obviously that's not changing their behavior um, and it's because there's some kind of um, substance use disorder and so if we, can, if we can address that, then we don't have to respond to the calls we get on their behavior um, and we can do other things. So um, it, I think it is worth the investment up front um, because if we can change you know, one person's um, behavior and, and kind of outlook on things um, where that they give treatment a shot, then I think we're doing a lot to maybe save their life and really save money in the end. Well, and, and substance use disorder doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know, and so if you save a life and if you get someone into treatment, you've saved a family mm-hmm. for the yeah. most part because all of that trickles down to the family, to their children, you know, that may keep a child out of the system, you know, out of the foster care system. It may right, keep right. a grandparent from having to be a caregiver. That's how you measure it. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we've actually had people that have ended up in Bloomington that um, when we start 
to kind of delve in deep into to their life. Um, they've pretty much lost contact with their family. We've been able to re- reconnect people with their families because and they don't know where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can get if we can do something like that where we, where we reconnect them, the families can take care of them too. Um, and and like Beverly said, you you save not only that person's life, but you you heal a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, again, I don't know how you measure that success. So heard a, uh, an interesting uh, NPR segment. Um, a woman now has been just compelled and inspired to to try to reach out to her friends who have been going through a lot of overdoses because uh, of opioid addiction or heroin addiction or methamphetamine. And she lost a significant person who had been incarcerated and placed on parole and was so afraid to really reach out to say, look, I have a problem for fear of being put back in. And then after, of course, this person passed on, the parole division of that city said, well, we don't want anyone to get to that extreme. We are here to help. It's not our goal just to lock people up or warehouse them. If they reach out to us, we're going to bend over backwards to get them the treatment that they need. So does that sort of speak to the spirit of the uh, diversion initiatives that you've been working on? It really does. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of diversion programs in the criminal justice system in this in this county. Um, we have uh, a multitude of, of specialty courts that deal with that. We have a drug treatment court. We have a, a veterans court. We have a mental health court. There's a lot of programming in the justice system to get people treatment so that they're not in the system. Um, and this is kind of on the front end of that, actually. It would be uh, if, if someone commits some kind of minor crime, instead of dealing, putting them in the justice system, we just completely divert them to the treatment world and try to try to get them in that um, world to get help, um, in the hopes that they'll get that help and they won't be committing these minor crimes right. anymore. And the chief mentioned the downtown resource officers earlier, and they have done a lot of work in this area. Uh, the Bloomington Police Department's also hired a social worker and two neighborhood resource officers. And so, and then in our department, we've hired an after-hours ambassador. Um, and so all of those folks working together, though those last ones I mentioned are not um, sworn officers, but they work together to make sure people can get resources. And they are eyes and ears on the street if they if they see folks in camps or in tents or they need you know food or whatever they're making sure you know people are either getting to treatment or getting the necessities that they need mm-hmm. this is the after hours ambassador so the after hours ambassador well i said that's one of them the after hours ambassador the police social worker and then we have two neighborhood resource officers well i guess what what help me to understand what an after hours ambassador does i will do that um the <laughs> So the After Hours Ambassador, is a, that's a, a new position that just came on in July of 2019, and that role is to help maintain the downtown. So it's part of that safety, civility, and justice initiative recommendation, but it's one to be eyes and ears on the street to connect the, the After Hours life downtown. So that's restaurants, bars, people that are students that are out, visitors that are out downtown, connect them with City Hall. City Hall closes at five o'clock officially, Mm -hmm. even though I don't leave until eight most nights. But we close at five o'clock initially. I mean, you know, traditionally. And that person starts her day at about three. And so she, she connects, she's that City Hall face downtown after hours and so she can see if there's a lot of trash out she can 
actually call dispatch if there is a fight or something that somebody else hasn't called in, or she can help de-escalate things sometimes. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's what she does. And, and being, being very visible, Interesting. She, she probably forms um, relationships. some loose relationships. No, they're with, not that loose. We have, we have some formal relationships, um, especially with, with uh, businesses downtown, mm-hmm. but also with some folks that are just out on the street. And I, right, I mean, she right. has an anecdotal story she told about folks that were like out in front of the library and, and they seemed to be experiencing homelessness and they were cooking something and she goes, okay, I'll let you stay here as long as you clean up after yourself. And so they cleaned up after themselves and you know now she knows who they are. And, and if they aren't there one day, then she knows. And then we know, you know to start asking around to see if something happened to that person. Right. Well, as always, you look at the clock and time is just just flown by. My two hours is up already. Well, Bev, I was going to say that we have promised you an additional 90 minutes, and unfortunately, what we're going to do, we're going to extend an open invitation to you and a Chief Deacon to come on at another time. Um, but at this point, this is where William says, We want to thank... Bloomington Police Chief Mike Decoff and Beverly Callender Anderson, Director of Community and Family Resources Department, for joining us this evening. They both presented on Bloomington's fourth annual public safety report. The complete report, along with the section presented by Bloomington's Fire Department Chief Jason Moore, can be found at bloomington.in.gov forward slash public dash safety forward slash annual dash reports. Now, now can someone enter in annual reports at the at the landing page and sort they of they can there. okay yeah. so but but that's the or public sa- they can even enter in public safety and and that'll take it to them they can search for that all right and once again if you have an event or happening that the african-american community should know about please send that information directly to the bring it on staff or if you want additional information about items that we talked about tonight contact us at bring it on at wfhb.org Lastly, our show's producer is this gentleman sitting next to me, Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB's News Department Director, Cade Young. Tonight's board engineer was Chantal LaFontante. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm the all-around great guy. William Hosea. And tune in next Monday, March 2nd. We're into another month at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your Bloomington Community Radio Station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.